Welcome to the first week of the Big Sky Podcast Network Power Rankings for the 2023 football season. I'm Brian Marceau from Tubbs at the Club. This this show is brought to you by Snake River Stampede Canadian Whiskey. So you guys, you guys know how this works. Tubbs at the Club has pulls a bunch of Big Sky Podcast Network contributors, a bunch of beat writers, and a bunch of people relatively in the know of Big Sky football. We take the sum of all of those pulls. That becomes our power ranking. Then we discuss. Uh, we're not too. I'm not too worried about fretting about the numbers. Mark Triple Piece in the comment section hitting on what I need. I needed to address. Thank you, Mark. Mark. Mark says had some tonight. I I should bring this up real quick just for everyone who's hopping on live. So pulling by pulling the curtain behind uh, away real quick. Sunday is the toughest night for me to actually make this, but it's the only night. And yes, I know it's Monday, but typically we record these Sundays. So you're going to see a time posted for when the show goes live. Please treat that as a suggested time. I hop on to record this one. I can make it work. Uh, Typically, I'm probably going to throw the time on at like 10 p.m. and then just jump on when I can. It's going to be pretty rare for me to get started before 9 or 9.30 is honestly like the bare bones earliest. I'll probably ever get these started. But Look, that's enough. We, we need to get to the actual football because we had 12 Big Sky Conference football games played this week. And starting at the bottom, and I'm going to spend very little time on a, some of these bottom teams to begin with. But uh, I got to say I'm a little bit disappointed. The brain dead number 12 pick for this week was Northern Colorado, the Bears, who first week of Ed Lamb. Ed Lamb's a good head coach. He's done well in the Big Sky Conference before might just take a little bit of time for Northern Colorado to look like a relatively stable program. But here, here's the basics of Northern Colorado week one. They play Abilene Christian. That's an FCS team. They're out of the WAC. Uh, the WAC is a less competitive conference than the Big Sky, but Abilene Christian finished uh, seven and four last season, six and four in FCS play. And they made Northern Colorado look like uh, Abilene Christian should be taking their spot in the big sky. That was a, this was a 31 to 11 final that was essentially never competitive for Abilene Christian. Um, we did learn from Northern Colorado. And in this first week, you're probably going to hear a lot about quarterbacks, you're gonna, which is not going to be the focus of every single week, but it's a, it, one of the big changes every year, especially this last couple of years is, we don't know who the hell is starting at quarterback for a good number of teams. Well, we did get the answer for Northern Colorado. It was Jacob Sermon, the dude who should have been starting last season for Northern Colorado. He went 18 of 32 for 106 yards through a touchdown leading rusher for Northern Colorado was David Afari, 11 carries 56 yards. Uh, top receiver was Blake Haggerty, five receptions for 30 yards. But look, here's here is the kind of tale of the tape. Northern Colorado picked up 13 total first downs and uh, it's just going to be hard to win many games doing that, but uh, maybe, maybe worse, uh, not worse, not maybe worse. This is absolutely uh, worse than just the, the 13 first, 13 first downs. Northern Colorado picked up a total of 190 yards. And look, I know Abilene Christian is not a catastrophically terrible program, but 190 yards is going to beat absolutely no one. So uh, obviously, obviously Northern Colorado has some work to do on both sides of the ball, but they scored 11 points. That looks honestly that that output was reminiscent of the Max McCaffrey and McCaffrey days in the past. I'm just going to write this off 
as I think Northern Colorado is going to take longer to turn around than maybe I thought to begin with, but offensively 190 yards, 190 yards. That's it. So, uh, yeah, you're just not going to beat anyone. There's nothing else to really understand uh, if a team's going to have 190 yards total. Uh, so we're done talking about Northern Colorado. Honestly, the first three entries are dumpster fire, so maybe I'll sprint through these even faster. Number 11 is top five Portland State. And we knew, everyone knew we were going to learn nothing from Portland State's week one matchup at number 15, FBS Oregon. But this was an Oregon's Oregon won 81 to 7. And Portland State scored in the first quarter. So, uh, yeah, 81 to 7. What's the takeaway here? Oregon's a good FBS team. And at this point, we thought lots of people like me thought Portland State would suck. I picked them number, I picked them at number 11 in the Tubbs of the Club Big Sky Conference uh, preseason episode. Well, here they were. Starting quarterback Dante Sachere goes 5 of 14 for 35 yards. He did throw the touchdown. Uh, Sashray also rushed six times for 53 yards. And there's your Portland State highlight. I mean, Northern Colorado picked up 190 yards on the total against Abilene Christian. Portland State picked up 200 total yards against Oregon. Uh, so look, there you go. Our first, our bottom two teams combined for fewer than 400 total yards. What did we learn about? We learned something about Northern Colorado based off that FCS on FCS matchup. We learned nothing we didn't anticipate about Portland State. Portland State is not a very good football team. They gave up 81 points. Hot take. Doesn't matter if you are FCS or not. If you're going to give up 81 points to anyone, you probably suck. Number 10, NAU. And NAU, they, they did not have quite the embarrassment that uh, Portland State had against, against Oregon. But... Uh, this was absolutely not an impressive outing outing for Northern Arizona. Northern Arizona they're they're in Tucson. They uh they fall 38 to 3 against University of Arizona. Now University of Arizona is a team that not that long ago uh Northern Arizona picked up picked up an upset. What did we learn about Northern Arizona? Again, the, Northern Arizona is a team that was underwhelming last season and lost a lot of main contributors. This is probably an important year for Chris Ball because the program overall at NAU is trending downward. We did learn that a uh, quarterback Kai Milner is the starter, although Northern Arizona did have two total quarterbacks play both Milner and Adam DeMonte. Uh, Milner was 14 of 22 for 166 yards. So, I mean, you know, a little bit, a little bit more respectable than, you know, what we saw out of, Northern Arizona, sorry, than what we saw out of Portland State. Of course, Arizona is significantly worse than Oregon, so we should. Um, on the bright side, NAU is our first bottom team to eclipse 201 yards total total on the game with 264. Um, I don't think we learned a lot from an, a not very good Big Sky team losing to a Pac to a Pac-12 team. So I other than saying who's starting quarterback is I'm going to breeze through NAU because the, honestly, these first three games were not particularly interesting, but hit the comment section uh, real quick. Uh, <laughs> Mark triple piece says five eleven PSU. Um, Mark, how did you know? Okay. Next we're going to, we now get to some of the interesting games and that this might, this surprised me a ton that uh, this was an interest. This team had an interesting matchup at all. Number nine, Idaho State. 
Um, I hope Jungle Land is watching and I, or Jungle Land tunes in because we do need to talk about Idaho State. This was the first game we saw from the Cody Hawkins era in Pocatello. Travel to San Diego, this place San Diego State Aztecs. And this was honestly, if, if we had categories on this show for the surprise of the week, even though Idaho State still lost the game 36 to 28, this would qualify as the surprise of the week because Idaho State hung in this game uh, honestly far longer than San Diego State probably wanted them to, far longer than virtually any Big Sky fan it would have expected Idaho State to based off of the coaching turnover from char- year one of Charlie Ragel's dumpster fire to which was a complete factory reset last season and over 50 new dudes on Idaho State. Then Cody Hawkins comes in. We have another complete factory reset. But there's at least something interesting here in Idaho State. And the, the first thing I'm going to point to, and I'm I, I'm saying this unequivocally for Idaho State. Cody Hawkins is at least going to do something interesting. And I say that what, what I'm going to point to. The Bengals threw it 63 times against San Diego State. Two quarterbacks, starter starter Jordan Cook, and then last season starter Hunter Hayes. Those two, I think it's not 100% clear who's going to be, let's say, the full-time starter uh, come Big Sky Conference season. There was a bit of a quarterback battle during uh, Cody Hawkins, you know, his first fall camp. Jordan Cook, out of the two, looks like he has a little bit more arm talent than Hunter Hayes, but Hunter Hayes has more. Well, this is Jordan Cook's first season in, in the FCS, so Hunter Hayes is a little more battle-tested than Jordan Cook. But if Idaho State's going to throw it 63 times every game, honestly, Cody Hawkins might have to have a bullpen ready, and he might have to have a reliever due to just guys tiring out. Jordan Cook goes 18 of 41 for 164 yards, one touchdown and two picks. Hunter Hayes is 12 of 22 for 145 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But just just pause you there. We learned virtually nothing about the first three teams in that they, they either did what we expected them to do against the FBS teams or the team just looked like they lacked talent. Idaho State... We, we now have a, a relatively good idea of what Cody Hawkins is going to do, which is he's going to Idaho state's going to spread the field and do what they can to pick thing, things apart. I mean, look at the rushing totals as a comparison. Now I know this includes sacks, but Idaho state rushed 15 times for 34 yards. Eight of those rushes were from Hunter Hayes, which is to say set. And two of those rushes were from Jordan cook, which aren't necessarily rushes which means subtract those 10, five, there were five total plays that non-quarterbacks for Idaho State rushed the ball. You know exactly what this is. I don't care if you want to call it air raid or if you want to just simply call it spread. Cody Hawkins is going to throw the ball. He's going to spread defenses out because Idaho State's best chance is probably to hope the line can buy whether it's uh, Jordan Cook, who looks like, again, he looked like the starter based off reps in time, or Hunter Hayes, buy one of those two enough time and hope there's enough talent at receiver to be able to target guys one-on-one and make something happen, which is, again, much more, at the very least, the word that's tonight is probably interesting, much more interesting than what we saw out of Idaho State. And look, I got to hit McLean Westbrook in the comment section. He is uh, the... He's the host of Jungle Land, the Idaho State podcast, which just started this year. Uh, his take on watching Idaho State. Cook, we should say Jordan Cook, played okay for a freshman, but if he eliminates a couple mistakes, ISU could have tied that game and maybe won it. Uh, 
McQuain Westbrook says line needs to improve to make throwing Idahoans sustainable. And thank thank you, McLean, for jumping in the comment section. By the way, if you have not, uh, if you're an Idaho State fan or just a Big Sky fan in general, check out Jungle Land. That's McLean Westbrook's podcast, and just follow Jungle Land on Twitter. It's one of the more fun Big Sky follows. But uh, any other takeaways takeaways we have? Uh, just looking at run it through defensive stats real quick for Idaho State because of course Idaho State was a dumpster fire on both sides of the ball last season. Um, you know, they gave up, uh, three, 389 total yards. Uh, honestly, not, not at all a bad effort against San Diego state. Now I don't follow San Diego state, so I don't know how to gauge too much what that means defensively. But what I can tell you is for at least a week, Idaho state, Idaho state has something fun going on and, if they're going to throw that that many times, I probably have to shout out a couple wide receivers for Idaho State. Uh, Chet and James leads the Bengals with, with seven receptions for 66 yards and a touchdown. Also, Christian Fredrickson adds five catches for 63 yards and a touchdown. Cyrus Wallace with five cat five catches for 50 yards. There were what four different four receiver different four receivers for Idaho State who had four catches or more. So uh, that's what we have for Idaho State next. Coming in at number eight, this is another team that at the very least is now interesting, Cal Poly. Now, Cal Poly, we, we may have learned a little bit more about Cal Poly overall than Idaho State based off Cal Poly having an F, FCS on FCS game. Uh, the Mustangs hosted San Diego at San Luis Obispo, won 27 to 10. But I got to tell you, this is a misleading 27 to 10. I honestly think Cal Poly could have won this game by about 40. There were a handful of breaks that went against Cal Poly. Some, the self-inflicted gunshot wounds you expect of a lower tier team, but some just the simple bad luck that every team catches. The, the biggest story out of this game is Sam Heward is starting at quarterback for Cal Poly. He goes 24, 42 for 326 yards, one touchdown, one pick, uh, hitting, hitting those stats with an asterisk. Cal Poly receivers also dropped a couple huge passes from Heward, one of which was a touchdown that had that been caught, there would not have been the play for Heward to throw his interception. But the, my takeaway from watching Sam Heward play, Sam Heward is the most talented quarterback in the big sky, but Sam Heward will not be the best quarterback in the big sky this season. Uh, the guy has incredible arm, arm talent. You completely understand why Sam Heward was at one point a blue chip recruit. This is not a Dylan McCaffrey situation at Northern Colorado where you could, you could watch Dylan McCaffrey last season for four minutes and know this dude should never have been at a power five school. I completely understand where the, the talent evaluation of Sam Heward had him where he was at one point, but I got to keep in mind, the dude hasn't really played very much college football. He's a younger underclassman. So he's going to have some learning curves in the game management itself. He's probably going to have some judgment call moments. And if Paul Wolf is going to let the dude throw 42 times in a game, well, that's just a lot of repetitions. You know, there's going to be some miscues at some point, but Cal Poly offensively. And I look, I should just preface this with how Cal Poly was last year. Cal Poly was the number one passing offense in the big sky, but struggled with turnovers. Cal Poly could not run. 
Well, nothing has changed in at least a couple of those departments. Cal Poly still cannot run the ball. 27 total rushes for 96 yards. If you take away the sack from Sam Heward, you, they narrowly eclipsed 100 yards. But uh, I'm going to steal this analogy from Kyler Neal when talking about these pioneer conference teams. And San Diego is a pioneer conference team. Zero scholarships, which is to say when when we all as FCS fans get pissed that our, our teams might have scheduled a D2 game because it doesn't count for the playoffs, those D2 te teams have about 36 more scholarships to give than any Pioneer Conference team. So obviously we have to take a little bit of the Pioneer Conference takeaways with a grain of salt. But Cal Poly, they looked frisky against, against San Diego. Honestly, I think San Diego should have scored... A, Cal Poly probably left that game thinking San Diego should have scored about three and that Cal Poly should have scored about 42. Uh, but the, the takeaways here is Cal Poly has some life in them. Cal Poly has some spark offensively. Uh, it's mostly in the passing game. There, there is some talent in the receiver room as well. Uh, specifically, specifically main dude to watch is Tyrese fairly Diam. I know I pronounced dude's name wrong. Seven catches, 129 yards and one touchdown. And then Carlton Brown, third, two receptions for 98 yards. So uh, Cal Poly is officially a team in my mind uh, that we should be watching. Although I would not accuse the, 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 again, there's only so much we can take away from these, pioneer conference games but last year cal poly barely squeaked away with the win against san diego this this year i know look it's a 17 point game and it feels like a disappointment because cal poly they should have won that game about 40 to 3 um in the comment section mclean westbrook asked about a uh, tiering of the lower lower teams after week one uh cal poly and idaho state honestly they seem like they're they're kind of cousins of each other in uh, they both are going to put their their goal is to put a ton of points on the board. Their goal is gonna, is to spread spread the field. Um, Cal Poly has a better quarterback, but Idaho State looked pretty solid against significantly better competition than what Cal Poly uh, was playing against. So we're we're kind of exiting the lowest of low tiers right now. Uh, and before we get to our number, number 17, got to hit really quick on our sponsor, Snake River Stampede Canadian Whiskey. They're the show sponsor, Tubbs of the Club, Snake River Stampede Canadian Whiskey. They Look, they have two versions. They have their standard, which is the one I typically buy, buy the handle exclusively. They also have their, their special small batch 1915 edition. If you're getting the, the standard entry, Snake River Stampede has a double barrel finish, first fill bourbon barrels, and then uh, finishing in Oloroso sherry casks. If you're getting their 1915 version, it's got another double finishing, starts with bourbon barrels, finishes in Canadian rye casks. But no matter what, look, both these whiskeys, they're three grain, 80% corn, 10% rye, 10% malted barley. They both have pretty, you can really, really taste the barrel influence to me in both the standard Snake River and 1915. Either are fantastic buys, and I think they're those two are the best Canadian whiskeys you can get in Idaho liquor stores. Give them a shot next time you're tailgating. Number seven, Eastern Washington. And look, it's great news we have Patty in the comment section because I'm going to want to run a couple of things by Patty. But uh, Eastern Washington had a not great first week opponent uh, traveling to, well, they didn't travel North Dakota State. The game was played in Minneapolis, but uh, it was a, uh, it was a home game for North Dakota state. Uh, the bison handle Eastern 35 to 10, but there were some things we learned in this game. Uh, the first thing I'm going to say 
is Eastern was an atrocious team defensively last season. And I don't think anyone's going to watch this game uh, and see, you know, North Dakota state putting up 513 total yards against Eastern and think that Eastern is now at a Weber state level defensively. But uh, I am going to say, I think there were moments in this game where Eastern Washington looked a little bit stronger defensively. Um, it's hard to pull this apart from the box score and believe that. But uh, look, Patty Firks is backing me up in the comment section, says he thinks that they look a lot better, in my opinion, and second, much more physical. And that's one of the things that had to happen, Patty. That's part of why Aaron Best picked up as many transfers as he did for relative to last season. This is an important year for Eastern to at least show some sort of growth relative to last season. And if look, the Eags have a ton of room to grow on both sides of the ball. We're going to get to the offensive side in a second. But to me, one of the, one of the biggest issues the Eags had last season was they just couldn't stop anyone on the ground whatsoever. And uh, this Eastern team, again, don't pencil this, this defense in as like a top three or something like that. But last season it was comparable to Cal Poly. I don't think that's going to be on the table this year on the offensive side of the ball. We have again, we have some glimpses to look at. Kiko Vesperis was the starting quarterback, went 23 of 39 for 266 yards, one touchdown, and one pick. Vesperis also uh, picked up 12 yards on the ground. Uh, his longest rush was 11 yards. Um, overall rushing stats for Eastern, since, since we're talking about that, 28 rushes for 72 yards. Uh, Little surprised that Tuna Altahir picked up a total of five yards on five carries, but the workload in the running room for Eastern was spread out relatively evenly. 15 rushes from a guy who was not Kiko Vesperis. Then the receiving room, Efton Chisholm third, one of the top receivers in the big sky, seven catches for 74 yards. Uh, other than Efton Chisholm, the Eags spread the ball around pretty dang well. There were three three different players with three catches and a couple two other guys with two catches. So overall takeaways from from Eastern look, North Dakota state is, is as one of the toughest FCS teams you could start week one against. It was not at home for Eastern. It wasn't at home for North Dakota state, but it was de facto based off the location. And if I'm an Eag fan, I'm walking away from this week feeling that this team is definitely going to be better at scoring the ball. Just ignore, ignore the 10 points from week one. North Dakota state is a, is there a different monster compared to the overwhelming majority of the FCS? And as much as I, I hate to say, ignore the 513 yards, I think you should right now. I think this Eastern team looks a little bit more talented than last season. Um, I don't think there's any reason to, to say, hey, the, the Eagles are now going to launch themselves into competing for the playoffs. But I think this Eastern team is going to has a chance to at least upset a couple teams that think they're going to go to the playoffs and make the season in the big sky more interesting. Uh, Patty, if you you give me anything else in the comment section, I'll jump back to Eastern. but. At this point, we got to get to another team I found particularly interesting because that's again, that's you're going to hear me say the word interesting a ton in in FCS out of conference play. Sometimes it can be hard to even know what's worth taking away just based off the team schedules, whether you're talking about, you know, Portland State against the top 15 FBS team or whether you're talking about. Weber state against the D two team, or you're talking about Cal poly against a non-scholarship team. What the hell are the, are the takeaways to me? It's more, Hey, what, what are the things I, I want to watch for, or I think are worth watching for throughout the rest of the season. And uh, we got a big one at number six, Montana, who Montana came away with a win 
And this is a bit low compared to where I think a bunch of people just brain dead expect Montana to be held. Montana in FCS stats are the number 13 team right now in the nation. And we have them number six in the big sky. Now, there's certainly a glass half full, glass half empty way to look at, at Montana's open first week win hosting Butler. The final score was 35 to 20. So Montana, the game was never really in doubt, but the 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 actual game flow of this uh, was much closer for Montana than honestly it probably should have been. So the look big takeaways here. First, Sam Vidlack is a starting quarterback for Montana. He's transferred in from Boise State, where he, where he had previously transferred from Oregon State. And after watching Vidlack, the dude has an arm. Montana's going to be to me significantly better at quarterback this season than they were last season. But Vidlak hasn't played that much. He's, I believe a sophomore after having transferred a few times. So the dude's going to have some learning, have a learning curve for sure. Uh, definitely had some miscues in that 15 to 25 had some misfires. Also the two picks. Now one of the picks was not exactly his fault. There was a teeny bit behind the receiver, but his receiver dropped the pass, then scooped it up up to the to a Butler defender. Kind of bad luck. Partially, the throw needs to be a little bit better, but I'm not really going to hang that interception on Vidlak too much. Um, other takeaway is Brent Peace looks like he has a little bit of leeway with play calling that uh, Bobby Howe did not allow Tim Rosenbaugh to have last season, especially if you watch in the first half. There's a Montana was a lot more aggressive throwing the ball than they had been last season, which I think that's overall a positive thing because Montana has some talented skill position players, guys like junior Bergen who had four catches for 72 yards, guys like Keelan white and Aaron Fontes, both of those guys with four catches each, the sum total for Fontes and white just under 100 yards. But Montana has skill position players uh, and they have a, a running back who honestly all preseason projections had no idea who's going to be starting for Montana running back. Well, Eli, Eli Gilman led the team with 19 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown in the comment section. Uh, Max and saying Montana was unimpressive competitive game with the pioneer league team at Wagner is Matt. Okay. Now that's the, that's where I'm going to have to hit the glass half empty. Look, the glass half full is that Montana defensively is still fast. They look like offensively they want to be more dynamic than last season, and that was a real question of if Hauk was going to go in that direction. But why was Max Wright calling this game unimpressive? Well, one, Montana's offensive line looks terrible, and I, I mean that unequivocally. They, the Grizz have a, a lot of returning linemen, a lot of experience coming back, and you could not watch this game and think Montana's going to be able to run against good to okay big sky teams the way Bobby Houck is going to want to. Uh, and second, I thought the weakness for Montana defensively was going to be in the secondary because of how much was lost both to graduation and transfers. It's essentially a complete tabula rasa of quarterbacks and safeties. Not quite, but pretty dang close. What looked weakest to me watching Montana what was their D line. I did not see any of the really much of the penetration that I'm used to seeing out of Bobby Hawk defenses. And though this team certainly has speed, this isn't what you'd call a bad defensive team. When Montana's been good since Bobby Hawk came back, 
they've at least had facets of their defense that looked elite compared to the rest of the big sky. And that to me was kind of the big asterisk uh, is, was this just week one? I don't know, not getting up for Butler or is Montana. Are they just not going to be quite as tough as Bob, as a Bobby Hawk team this far into Bobby Hawk's second round of Montana would be expected to be the other just part that's hard to talk about Montana is it's very hard to divorce Montana while talking without discussing the expectation of the fan base. And I'm just going to divorce it that watching this game, Montana looked like they could be a pretty good big sky team, maybe fringe playoff, but this is certainly not a, a team that's going to win a conference championship. Uh, if you're a Grizz fan and you want to know what to hang your hat on, it's the fact that there's still, there's a ton of speed on the defense. Bobby Hawk looks sharper special teams than he did last season. Also like a hey, Montana state got a first down on a fake punt kicker. Looks like he's got quite a bit of leg as well. And the fact that they have a quarterback who's got an arm, he's going to make mistakes, but he's a guy who can make plays with his arm. You have to expect Montana's going to look stronger through the air than last season, but I don't disagree with Max at all. This was a little bit of a mad win if you're a Grizz fan, but the, the whole reason it's mad is because the discussion about Montana because of Bobby Houck always circles to, Hey, are they going to compete for a championship or not? Ignore that. They're, they're not close to having proven that. But if your view is, did Montana show it enough to be thought of as a potentially good to solid big sky team? Yeah, absolutely. Coming in at number five was another team with a bit of a meh performance. Weber state. Now Weber state, uh, they hosted central Washington. So that look, that sucks for that sucks for trying to understand anything about Weber in this game, uh, because Central Washington is look they're a solid D two team, but uh, solid D two teams are not. That's nothing that people should be stoked about. The starting quarterback for Weber State was uh, Kylan Weiser, threw for 116 yards. Uh, looked like his ceiling in this is even against a D two team was as a you know a. I mean this in the pejorative sense, uh, a game manager. And when we say the pejorative game manager, what we mean is the guy's not very good. I I don't know if there's another big sky team that Weisler would be able to start for. Uh, honestly, like I'm I'm not kidding when I say that I don't think there's a single other team he'd. Uh, yeah, actually, let me let me take away the preface. Weisler would not start at any other big sky school. He is probably the worst quarterback in the league. Uh, the other takeaway uh, from this game is yeah, I, I, now that we're talking about this, I honestly think we should swap six and five, but that's not the point of the show. Weber defensively up front did not look uh, as strong as Weber typically is defensively. So a lot of room to grow for sure uh, for Weber state after again, they beat, look, they, they won by 25. So in one sense, there's nothing to be like truly upset about, but at the same time, not impressive. Uh, Weber state did return a kick for a touchdown. Um, I, and I have to bring this up. Weber state. That was one of the things that I was concerned about with Weber state, as far as uh, in the Mickey mental era, how, how that would, how special teams itself would translate because Jay Hill was the best in the FCS as far as uh, special teams. And look, we still have a few years before the Jay Hill recruits are gone. Uh, Damon Banks in at running back rushed for 119 yards. He's still, look, he's still talented. He's still there. Uh, so look, there's there's reason that Weber State could be solid, but th there's a little bit of a meh factor in Weber State too. Honestly, I, I hadn't talked about other other games, other teams 
week twos because we'll you know, we'll get there when we talk about next week. But Weber State at Northern Iowa this week is one of the few uh, Big Sky games that I think there's a lot we're going to be able to take away from. So I look if I'm a Weber fan, I have my have my sights focused much more there as far as gauging the team and just understand that hey, some teams kind of start not great uh, week one. And uh, yeah, moving, moving on from moving on from Weber state. Now we're going to hit some of the more, uh, some of the better teams. Uh, Number four, we're at Sacramento state, Sacramento state uh, hosted nickel state. And now this was a game that I think this is another glass half full glass half empty game. If you're Sacramento state, you probably think you should have won this game about 45 to, to 14. Uh, but we did learn a bit about Sacramento State. Question one for Sacramento State. And you're one of Andy Thompson. What's going to happen at quarterback? Uh, both quarterbacks and the dual quarterback system for SAC graduated last season. Well, Sacramento State did play two quarterbacks, both uh, Carson Camp and Caden Bennett. And you have to think the quarterback competition is over after week one. Carson Camp uh, transferred from South Dakota. He is a traditional pocket passer. He goes, Five of 11 for 35 yards and a pick. And when I, from what I watched of Carson camp out there, he has the stature of a quarterback, but maybe he was just off in his snaps against, uh, against Nichols, but he just didn't look good. His passes weren't accurate. Uh, he, he looked like a guy where I completely understood why he transferred away from uh, South Dakota. Who's they're not South Dakota is not a terrible football program, but they're in bottom half of the Missouri Valley football conference. And I felt watching camp play. I completely understood why the dude was trying to play somewhere else. The other quarterback who got some time is Caden Bennett. Caden Bennett to me, he's a junior. He's hasn't didn't play much. You know, he's recruited by Troy Taylor. Hadn't played for the last few years. He, he just looks like the guy. He looked like he could pass better than camp and Caden Bennett can run. So as far as passing, Bennett goes 11 to 16 for 221 yards and two touchdowns. So for those keeping score in five more passes, Bennett threw almost more, 200 more yards and threw two touchdowns without a pick. Bennett also uh, rushed 10 times for 38 yards and a touchdown. Uh, also on the ground, another question is, uh, hey, Cameron Scadaboo's gone. Can Marcus Fulcher be a every down back? Well, Fulcher, 19 carries for 71 yards. The average isn't great, but picked up two touchdowns as well. But I will say his long, Bennett, Fulcher's longest rush was 14. So his production was pretty steady overall in the receiving room. Uh, Marshall Martin, tight end, All-American tight end, only one catch for five yards. Uh the ball was spread around pretty good. It doesn't look like there's an identified go-to receiver yet. No receiver for Sacramento State came away with more than three catches. And in just looking at the overall overall flow of this game, look, Sacramento State's up 17-3 to three at half, and then it's just a tie game in the second half. So East Sacramento State outgained Nichols 441 yards to 293 uh, that, that's part of why I said I think Sacramento State probably feels like they should have won this game in a blowout. Uh, but side note, the Southland Conference had a really rough week against the Big Sky. And honestly, the Pioneer Conference was more competitive against the Big Sky than the Southland. Nichols is part of the Southland. Not a good team. Uh, but Sacramento State, after one week, looks like the, a lot of what Dallas had talked about on the show with Sacramento State. Offensive line coming back. 
some skill position talent coming back. There's a reason to expect Sacramento state might be strong this year. And in week one, uh, though a little uneven, I think uh, I would, I would be buying Sacramento state stock right now. I think Caden Bennett stabilizing that quarterback position being, being a bit of a dual threat is things going to put Sacramento state, not that far from where they were last season. Number three, UC Davis. And uh, got to hit the comment section. Hey, Dane Moon saying uh, UC Davis three, Montana State two, and Idaho one. Not that far off, Dane. You're, you're pretty dang close. You're, you at least got number three. So UC Davis hosts Texas A&M Commerce. They're a Southland team. And UC Davis absolutely murders Texas A&M Commerce 48 to 10. Uh, quarterback Miles Hastings, one of the best returning quarterbacks in the big sky, goes 22 to 30 for 239 yards, one touchdown, did throw two picks. But the coming out party was it was Lan Larison, who he's the guy who's gonna he's, he's running back number one. He's replacing Alonzo Gilliam, and that's one of the Alonzo Gilliam was one of the most productive backs in the history of the Big Sky Conference. So what Dan Hawkins had coming up coming up next was a reasonable question. And Lan Larison has had to wait quite a while to get to get his turn. Uh, Larison, Larison's an upperclassman. He's a junior, but keep in mind, he's a, he's a COVID junior. Also, he's, if you're an Idaho dude, Larison's from Caldwell, Idaho. Uh, Larison on the ground, 16 carries for 109 yards and three touchdowns. Also one catch for five yards. Another, another name to pay attention to on UC Davis that you're, you're just going to see him. Oh, oh, sorry. Before I move on from Larison. Larison also has a little bit of Zach Borish in him for Idaho fans, as in he, he's a slash type of player. So he's he's going to catch at least a pass. He's going to get some rushes, and he's a guy who can throw the ball too. Larison goes one of one for eleven yards as a in the passing game. Another name to pay attention to for as far as guys who a guy who's going to touch the ball all over the field is Trent Tompkins. Rushed for rushed two times for seventeen yards, but also had six catches for sixty-one yards. So uh, on on the whole. UC Davis dominated this game from start to finish. It was 31-3 at halftime. Davis gained 529 yards total while surrendering 285 yards. The kind of the narrative for UC Davis this season is that missing the playoffs last season was just a result of shitty luck of losing a few single-scored games to some very good football teams, teams like national champion South Dakota State. And in week one, UC Davis did just about everything they could to say, to prove that 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 story for last season was correct, and we should expect a an upward trajectory for UC Davis. There's certainly talent there. Coaching staff is stable. They've got one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I'm not ready to say who the best quarterback is because you if you look at guys like Giovanni McCoy on Idaho, Miles Hastings at UC Davis, talked about Sam Heward already. There's um, the guys all do different things well. And I, I honestly think those three guys are just all on the right teams for what they do. But I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't call Miles Hastings the best quarterback, but he's certainly top three or four in this league. Very solid guy. Just had, just had a rougher week, but it's not going to matter if you have guys like Land Larison producing all over the place. Number two. And look, before I, before I talk about Idaho, I, I just have to remind everyone, one of the other show sponsors we have, Hughes River Expedition because that's a vandal owned and operated company. Look, if you are into if you're interested at all 
in guided rafting trips, you have to get a hold of Colin at Hughes River Expedition. Their trips are all inclusive. So truly, you just get yourself there. Everything else is taken care of. Hughes River is your answer. If you want to do a kind of a corporate or like a team building type of retreat where the group itself is going to be larger, Hughes River is your answer. If you're just a family and you want to join in on join in on a trip with and have the time of your life, seeing, seeing nature in a way that you are not going to otherwise and doing it with some fun people who know who know exactly what they're talking about. So look, if if this is something you're interested in and you absolutely should be, you got to get a hold of Colin Hughes at Hughes River Expedition. Call him now at 800-262-1882 or check him out at hughesriver.com. Idaho. Yeah, Idaho be the Idaho's another team that looked very good week 1. Look, Idaho played on Thursday, traveled to Beaumont, Texas. Uh, this was this is the last of our big sky on Southland violence of this week, and Idaho beat Lamar forty two to seventeen. This game could easily have been seventy seven to zero. Idaho's first string defense gave up three total points. That was it. Um, Idaho also really really tucked in and ran for ran for the overwhelming majority of the second half to just put this game away. Uh, it was. Look, 28 to zero at half. It was 35 to three at one point. So look, this easily could have been a, a, a much, this game could have looked like Oregon and Portland state. Honestly, Giovanni McCoy goes 14 of 19 for 164 yards, two touchdowns and one pick. The story of the game is big sky offensive player of the week. Hayden Hatton catches six passes for 86 yards and two touchdowns. He also throws a 45 yard touchdown pass as well. So that's a hat and account for three touchdowns. Also the, part of why I brought the asterisk up on this game, if Idaho could have won by as much as they wanted to Hatton caught four balls on the first drive. And then to the rest of the game, that was not because Hayden Hatton was not open. Uh, Idaho chose to spread the ball around, but truly if Idaho felt they needed to turn this game into an old school Vernon Adams to Cooper cup type of game where, where Hatton's getting 15 catches easily. That could have happened against, against Lamar. Uh, Anthony Woods also had a pretty damn productive day, 13 rushes for 138 yards and two touchdowns, including a long rush of 93 yards. So hey, throw that asterisk there that, that did really buttress his total, his, his total rushing yards, but Look, if you're anything you're talking about, Idaho uh, not doing so well in this game, you know you're nitpicking because Idaho was supposed to beat the shit out of a team like Lamar, and they did. Um, the you know another another question you might have for Idaho is how uh, look if Idaho's wanting to finish in the top two or in the top three of the Big Sky, they're going to have to make some progress defensively and the progress on the offensive line. So early takeaways are Idaho's secondary looks as probably honestly better to me or at worst as good as the team looked last season when Idaho led the big sky in interceptions. I also think Idaho looked better on the defensive line. Chikari Larmond is a name big sky fans better get used to number 92. He's going to be disruptive in a lot of big sky conference games. Idaho lacked a little bit of size on their defensive line last season. And Larmond is the answer to that size. Not only is he big, he's good and he's fast. Truly big sky fans get used to hearing the name Jakari Larmond. Uh, also Idaho look essentially completely new linebacking core, uh, hard to gauge against Lamar, what their production meant, but overall Idaho's defense looked pretty dang fast. 
So uh, the young linebackers were not an issue against Lamar. So look, Idaho checked the boxes they need to check. Uh, one one thing to to keep in mind with Idaho, this is easily the team with the best receiving group in the nation. Uh, Therese Trainer, he's the number three receiver for Idaho. He had two catches for 35 yards. He's a former third-team All-Big Sky receiver before Jason Nett came over. Jermaine Jackson, who also returns kicks and punts, had two catches for 23 total yards. But he again, he also produces in the spe- in special teams as well. Uh, Idaho is absolutely loaded with weapons. And I think one of the challenges for Jason Eck this season is going to be balancing how, how do you use Hayden Hatton to, you can exploit Hayden Hatton against virtually anyone. There's no one in the big sky is going to be able to stop him, but there's other mouths to feed. Jason Eck also has been pretty damn dynamic with the offense. He engineers at Idaho. So how Idaho spreads the ball when they have the best receiver in the nation, but then also a few of the better receivers in the league is a real question. But my, my belief about Idaho at headed into the season is offensively, they're going to be able to do essentially whatever they wanted. We saw that today. Uh, question was going to be, how was Idaho going to look on the defensive side of the ball? Mostly strong, but look, Hey, Dane moon in the comment section is saying the only con, which is nitpicking is their penalty is Idaho's penalties, but it can easily be ironed out. Uh, Dane's right. There were a couple of dumb penalties there, in particular. There was a 15 yard penalty after the 93 yard run by Anthony woods that pulled Idaho back to the 20. Now it didn't end up mattering because Idaho threw a touchdown w- within two or three plays. So in this game, it did not matter, but those are the kind of t- mistakes that you know, if you make that mistake against a uh, Montana state, it can be a big deal. Um, also, look, I'm just going to say this for Idaho fans. You need to be prepared for Giovanni McCoy to throw a few more picks this season because I think McCoy is going to have a lot more freedom as a as a passer. I think he's going to. I think Jason Eck is going to c- continue to trust him more, which is to say, put more on Giovanni McCoy's plate. And it's also just very hard to do better than the 20 touchdowns and six picks he threw last season. I, I bring that up because. Um, McCoy did did throw a pick. He started down the receiver pretty good there. You know he's going to learn from that tape. Uh, but also there was a second pass. There well there was another pass that I think against about half the big skies probably an interception. It made it through in this game, but um, it's the kind of thing McCoy can learn from. And again, we're we're nitpicking. McCoy looked good. He he was accurate just like he always is. Hayden Hatton in the whole receiving room looked good. Anthony Woods looks like he's taking a developmental step. Um, the biggest nit to pick I'd say for Idaho. Cause now we're just talking about Idaho compared to teams that are going to advance in the playoffs. We, we know they'll at worst, worst case scenario, Idaho is a good football team. There's some work to be done on the offensive line. Uh, the line Idaho has is not something like what Sacramento state has, not like what UC Davis has and not like what Montana state has uh, on the bright side. You know, look, Idaho has some other stuff. Those teams don't have, but um if Idaho has a limiting factor on the offensive side, it's going to be the offensive line. And number one, the number one team in our power rankings this week, absolutely not a shocker. It's Montana State. Uh, Montana State was the, in terms of how the season concluded last season, the, the they had the best big sky season overall. Yes, I know they didn't win an outright league title because Sacramento State went undefeated too, but uh Everyone understood Montana State as the class of the big sky at the end of last season. The both polls reflected that media and coaches polls before the season. And week one, Montana State did absolutely nothing uh, to dissuade 
anyone who has eyes and watches football from considering Montana State the class of the big sky. They beat uh, FCS Utah Tech, aka former Dixie State. That's a whack conference team and or United Athletic Conference. They're kind of a co-op. I don't know what to call them, so I'll just keep misnaming them as a whack team. Uh, Montana State wins 63 to 20, led th- led 35 to 10 at halftime. Uh, Tommy Malott was was a starting quarterback. I guess that was a potential question is what would the snap count look like between Tommy Malott and Sean Chambers? Both those guys have very similar style games. I, I've said on this show, I think Tom, I think Sean Chambers has looked better, but I don't coach football at Montana State. Brent Vegan knows what he's doing. And Tommy Malott was a starter. Went eight for 14 through the air, 157 yards and a touchdown. Also rushed seven times for 79 yards. Uh, maybe the story for Montana State, and it's hard to ca- call this a story. Montana State beats the hell out of teams on the ground. They pass just enough to keep the defense kind of honest. S- Scott or Humphrey, and I guarantee I, I pronounced the I pronounced the dude's first name wrong. It's a C S C O T T R E Humphrey. Rushed 14 times for 114 yards and three touchdowns, including a long of 47 yards. But this Montana State rushing room, it barely matters who's going to be running the ball for the, for the Bobcats. Look, Lane Sumner at times looked like he was production wise as good as any running back in the big sky last season, because when you're running behind the line, Montana state has, you're going to look pretty damn good. Lane, Lane Sumner got three total rushes. Elijah Elliott has had times where he looked very good as a, as a running back. Well, he had eight rushes, rushes for 51 yards, but what you need to know, Montana state passed it 18 times. They rushed it 53 times. So if you're wondering, has this team changed at all? No, no. Montana State's game plan is they're going to just beat the hell out of you on the ground. And they did that against Utah Tech to the tune of 638 total yards, including 407 yards on the ground at 7.7 yards per carry. So I guess if you can rush like that, why in God's name would you even care to pass? We got Patty in the comments section. I got to hit Patty for a couple things. He jumped back to to Idaho talking about Trey Thomas looks real good. Yes. Trey Thomas at middle linebacker looks great. Uh, That was an Idaho question about how the linebacking room would look, especially with the late loss of Paul Moala. Trey Thomas is good. Those linebackers are going to be fine Uh, for Montana state. This is Patty. Again, biggest question for MSU is can they throw the ball at all? um, Especially against South Dakota state. Well, Hey, that's the matchup this week is a, let's say, you know, top, that's about a premier, as premier and out of conference FCS game as we're going to have this season when Montana State travels to South Dakota State next week. But we'll look, we're going to talk about that next week. My takeaway from this game, and I'm going to address Patty directly, bringing up the biggest question for MSU is can they throw the ball at all? They obviously can throw the ball okay when the when they're abusing teams to the extent they do on the ground. Because what they start to do is get more one-on-one type of matchups. So if, you, if you're an Idaho fan, you remember that this is a very exaggerated version of this. But when Idaho had Zach Borish play quarterback, they were able to still throw for a not awful, not impressive number of yards because of what the other teams had to stack up, had to prepare for on the ground. Well, Montana State's an infinitely better version of that in that they can abuse you running with quarterback. They can abuse you running with any running back they want. That Brent Vegan is a creative play caller. He can also have Tommy Mallott and Sean Chambers both on the field at the same time. Both guys can play quarterback. Both guys can run the ball. This is a talented team 
with one of the better coaches in the big sky. There are very few teams where Montana state's inability to throw the ball relative to look, Tommy Malott's not the passer. Sam Heward is, he's not the passer. Giovanni McCoy is, he's not the passer that Kane Bennett Sacramento state is. He's not the passer that honestly, maybe that he's, I don't think he's a top half the league passer, but he's in, the exact situation he needs to be in and Montana state for relative to virtually all, but like five teams in the nation, they get what they need to offensively. So whether they throw the ball much at all is largely irrelevant. So this, this episode has been brought to you guys by snake river stampede, Canadian whiskey. Uh, everyone who stayed on, thank you for helping out in the comment section. We'll be on next week on Sunday. I pushed it back Monday because I was out of town. Uh, and this, like I said, uh, to start the show, this is kind of the pa- the power rankings are kind of my personal passion project. And they fit where they can fit in relative to a ton of other stuff. But thank you guys for hanging out. Just understand in future episodes for all my live viewers that the, the time published is going to be suggested. But um Look, we, we got some real questions for next week as far as what we're going to learn from other teams. Just scanning through the Big Sky Conference schedule for week two. Uh, you know, we, we have a few things that are exciting and a few that are not so much. We have a good number of FBS matchups. Like we got Cal Poly at San Jose State. We've got Portland State at Wyoming. Those are FBS matchups. We got Northern Arizona at North Dakota. So we, that's an FCS. We have incarnate word at North at Northern Colorado and my God, uh, North Northern call. You're not going to lose any money betting on Northern Colorado to lose games. What you, what you're going to be curious about is whether a straight money line bet even exists for Northern Colorado. We, we got Weaver at Northern Iowa. Idaho at Nevada is one of the more intriguing games. Nevada didn't look like the quite like the dumpster fire of last season and Idaho at Nevada is a real good matchup for a big sky team to pick up an FBS win. Uh, we've got Idaho state at Utah state hashtag jungle land. We've got uh, UC Davis at Oregon state. That's going to be some violence. Eastern Washington at Fresno state. You know, maybe another game to look at with intrigue is Montana at Utah tech. Uh, little floored. That's Montana traveling to Utah tech, unless ESPN's website has no idea what they're talking about, but it's listed at greater Zion stadium. Uh, and then Texas A&M commerce at Sacramento state. So honestly, now that I look at the schedule, there's isn't one total home big sky game and a ton of FBS games, but uh, still a handful of games. I think we can certainly learn from, and it's football season dudes. We get what we get 12 weeks of this. So Honestly, who gives a shit if some of these games we're, we're not going to learn? They're still intriguing stuff. Like, just look at Cal Poly. I mean, who would have thought heading into the season Cal Poly would be interesting? But, hey, they're they're right there. So, everyone who tuned in, thank you. Uh, support Tubbs at the Club at patreon.com backslash Tubbs at the Club. And, anyway, share our shit. Uh, hammer the subscribe button if you have not yet. When Tubbs gets to 1,000 followers on YouTube, they got to pay us. Thank you for coming. And we will see you next week or if you're a if you're a tubs listener we will see you when uh tomorrow when the whole crew including myself previews the idaho nevada game Uh, and with that i'm going to send it off to uh, a certain former producer's music playing away go vandals